Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. <clears throat> so here we are, um, cultivating loving kindness, at least that's the intention, moment after moment for all these days. But um, have you ever asked yourself, just what is it? What is loving kindness? Where does it come from? This mysterious quality or capacity that we have, that we yearn for, pray for, die for, are afraid of, want so much. You know, what, what is that? What is it that, that comes out of us and that we so seek outside of ourselves? <clears throat> Don't expect me to give you an answer. <laughs> but I can give you a, a, at least one model that I, I like to... Uh, to relate to, that I do relate to and like to reflect on, that comes from um, Brian Swim, who uh, is a cosmologist and uh, theologian, wrote um, a few books, one book that uh, I love called The Universe is a Green Dragon. And he thinks in terms of cosmic forces and then sees the human experience within the, the realm of these cosmic forces in nature. And one basic fundamental cosmic force is what he calls allurement. And that is the force that's throughout all dimensions of matter in the universe that is about connection. In the center of an, the atom, protons and neutrons connect. They stay together. If they didn't, everything would just collapse. And the electrons circle around the atoms. And that's what's holding all of this together into a, a bench. The force of gravity keeps us on the planet and keeps the planets orbiting the sun and keeps the galaxies in relation to each other, the stars in a galaxy and the galaxies in relation to each other, the force of electromagnetism is a powerful one that is behind all machines, all of these are in that same dimension of connection. The universe has this fundamental force of wanting to connect. And in the human, as he talks about it, we call this force love. We yearn to connect. We want to connect. When we 
don't feel connected. You know the feeling when, we f- when you feel disconnected? It's scary, it's lonely, it's painful. And when we do feel connected, either to ourselves or to others, we feel at ease, we feel right, we feel at peace, and we feel this joy that naturally comes from that connection. Isn't that interesting? I mean, we write books and movies and songs and all about that, that force, but it's in that, looking from that vantage point, just a basic force of life that moves through us. And it's mysterious and it's magical and it's powerful and it is the source of happiness and when we don't have it, the source of suffering. The metta practice is sometimes seen or can appear as a dualistic kind of a practice. Me sending loving kindness to somebody else out there. But really, it is, it's a pointing to the dissolving of barriers between self and other to see that it is just life connecting with itself. We feel each other, we're affected by each other on many, many different dimensions. You know, you can, you can feel it, you can, you ever, I'm sure we all know that feeling, you kind of get sense that somebody's eyes are on you, you know, and you're kind of looking around and, and they are. <clears throat> Sometimes you look around and they're not, you just think they are. But we can feel that energy from others around us. And this is happening on many, many profound levels. I wanted to share with you uh, something that might stretch your, your mind a bit. Um, from The Compassionate Life. It's a, a wonderful book on compassion by Mark Ian Barish, who um, he describes, he's uh, with this group called HeartMath down in Santa Cruz area about researching, uh, they research and, and develop practices to open the heart, very scientifically based. So he was with this research scientist who put some yogurt in a Petri dish near him and placed some electrodes in the dish. And the needle that it was hooked up to just sat there. And then he asked Mark to think of a deeply disturbing emotional experience. And this is Mark writing now. Rummaging through memory, I had a sudden flash of my sister's death and I was flooded with a surge of grief. At that very moment, all by itself, the needle on the meter buried itself in the red zone, then oscillated wildly back and forth. We hadn't touched anything. The box was hooked up to nothing except the yogurt. Strawberry, my favorite. Nothing in the room had changed but my feelings. When I switched my mental focus back to my surroundings, the needle went still. Okay, McCready said, now think of an incident of physical pain. I called to mind a recent medical checkup that involved taking several blood samples. The needle kicked fitfully like a man whose sleep had been disturbed. He had me remember a moment of profound embarrassment. I'm not telling. And again, the needle twitched abruptly as if in response. 
all living creatures resonate in the field of the human heart. And I would guess also in the field of other beings. Isn't that amazing? Now, if yogurt can be sensitive, you know, imagine how sensitive we are. And, and we are very sensitive, aren't we? We are wired up for that sensitivity of connection as neuroscientists are, have discovered in, in recent times that in our brain there are these neurons called mirror neurons that light up. If you see somebody stub their toe, they light up in the same area that it would if you stubbed your toe if you're hooked up to a, an electrode uh, into a machine. And if you see somebody succeed and, and uh, you're watching a movie and the hero or the heroine comes through in the end and you're saying, yeah, what is that about? We are moved because we can respond in that resonance. So we are very directly affected by our surroundings and particularly this feeling of love, of kindness, is a powerful bottom line energy of life that can affect those around us and resonate with it. Love is, as it's sometimes called, the natural state It's the state who we are when we're not distressed, when we're not confused. That's why the the Brahma Viharas are byproducts of a concentrated mind and a mind at ease. You know, if you've done any metta, sorry, any uh, mindfulness practice, you sit on retreat and as you get more and more clear and more and more mindful, the heart just starts to open. Isn't that so? Maybe not on the schedule that you'd like it to but it just it keeps on going in that direction as there's more space and less confusion that's the the obscurations are removed and we feel that goodwill and we feel generosity and we feel um, clarity but that love and compassion and joy and peace are all here just under the confusion and the obscurations. As, uh, as it said uh, in um, one neuroscience um, uh, study says that when the mind, and they put people into, into the uh, MRI machines in a research lab, when a human's mind is not under stress, it exhibits consciousness, calm, creativity, contentment, and caring. That's who we are when we're not stressed. It's good news, isn't it? It's also good motivation to remove the stress. Whereas in uh, the Tibetans talk about that the ground of being underneath this whole play of appearances. There's a consciousness, there's an awareness that is empty, 
that is wakeful and that is responsive. Responsive, a connection, a caring. Loving kindness is one of the wholesome states, obviously. A wholesome state of mind and heart. And in Buddhist psychology, uh, perhaps you're familiar or not, there are these wholesome states that lead to happiness and unwholesome states that are associated with suffering. And all the wholesome states, whether it's generosity or compassion or joy or kindness, they're all expansive states. There's an outflow of energy. All the states that are unwholesome and called such because they are associated with suffering are contracting states like anger, fear, confusion, jealousy, wanting. There's a tightness, there's a kind of imploding. And that is why the more we are just self-absorbed and focused inward, we and, and are disconnected from the world around us, this is a cause of, of suffering on one level or another. When it's just about me, as Guy was saying yesterday, that Shanti Deva quote, whatever happiness in the world there, whatever happiness the world there is comes from wanting others to be happy and whatever unhappiness in the world there is comes from caring only about ourself to be happy. So this is about expanding about an outflow of energy, about opening your heart and letting it be touched by life. <clears throat> and it, it takes some courage to do that sometimes because it's scary out there, isn't it? Sometimes the world seems scary. But if we go through life in that grip of fear because that's how we view the world, um, then we will most likely be cutting ourselves off from the love that's there. I love the, that Einstein quote. He says, perhaps the most important question that a human being can ask is, is the world, is the universe friendly or not? Now, sometimes it's true, it's not. But the more you see the underlying reality as benevolent, the more you can be having trust, the leap of faith to open your heart to life. And that's what we're learning to do here and in Vipassana practice to open our, our hearts and our minds to reality when things are not so good, to have the, the courage to open and say, okay, I can be with this too. And when things are wonderful, instead of contracting and trying to possess it, to open our hearts and our minds and say, okay, this is here, and if it goes, it's okay. To stay open. To trust that it's okay to do that. So, if the happiness in the world comes from caring about the happiness of others 
and the unhappiness in the world comes from caring only about self, then you might say, well, gosh, why are we doing all this meta practice for ourself? Seem, might seem a little self-centered, and I can get a little bit too caught up in, you know, in me. And here's where there's a paradox. Because if you, if you don't include yourself in the whole, you are not connecting with the source of all the love you have. And this is a very common thing. Oh yes, it's easy for me to love others, but you know, me, that's another story here. You need to start with and include yourself. And the more you can, the more you can really get who you are, the less you're preoccupied with hoping you'll get validated from the outside. You can have seven billion people, that's what it seems like the count is these days, line up and say, you're really okay, but if you don't feel it inside, it's not going to, it's not going to do it for you. There's that line from Dogen, he says, uh, to study Buddhism is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be intimate with all things. So we practice first, this is our laboratory to understand the human condition. And the more we understand it and, re- and see it in all of its um, goodness and all of its foibles and open up to the whole show, then hopefully the outcome is one of, of truly understanding that you are as worthy of love as anybody. And once you understand that, to study the self is to then to forget the self. You're not, you don't have to be preoccupied. And once you're not so preoccupied with seeing, am I okay, then you can be intimate with all things and share that love. So I see this as the key first turning point as many people have shared in, in, the, uh, in the interviews as well. Just getting a glimpse, if they can just get a glimpse of what it's like to be kind to themselves, something dramatic starts to shift. It's a key turning point in practice. Mm. And you might say, well, gosh, I don't know. I don't know if it's possible for me. Or I don't know if um, I have the capacity to really like myself. But the way I see it, there's something inside of all of us that is really rooting for our own well-being. It's been there from the very beginning. It governs just about everything you do, even though it might be very misguided and take you to places where you should not go. Almost every 
action, whether conscious or not, is a movement towards thinking this will make me happy or this will reduce my suffering. Everybody wants to be happy. Anybody who doesn't want to be happy here? You know, and if I, sometimes I sense somebody saying, yeah, sometimes I don't like to be happy. Sometimes I like to be grumpy. Well, that's just your way of being happy in that moment. You know? <laughs> but there is something definitely that is rooting for your well-being and this metta practice is simply activating, it's getting in touch with that, that genuine wish for well-being in a very direct way, seeing where happiness lies and activating it and empowering it and really coming to an understanding and acknowledgement, yes, I really do want well-being for myself. I really do want happiness for myself. <clears throat> we talked about how unworthiness can get in the way. I was at, that, at the, uh, uh, the three-month retreat when the Dalai Lama came. The guy mentioned the other day, you know, and that guy said... Uh, what do you do with unworthiness? And when the Dalai Lama said, you're wrong, you're absolutely wrong, he said it with such compassion that was basically saying, what makes you think that everything else is part of the universe and somehow you're not good enough? There's a, a saying I like from um, Course in Miracles that says, believing in your littleness is arrogant because it's preferring your own opinion to God's. I love that. Or as uh, Trungpa Rinpoche said, timidity is just another ego trip. Like, oh, I'm not good enough. Well, that's all about me and really not seeing who you are. So it does take practice. I, I genuinely... Uh, agree. It takes practice, but I can tell you from first-hand experience that it's possible. When I was growing up, I did not like myself at all. I, for, it took me years. I don't think it was till about, oh, 18 or 19 maybe before I could look in the mirror without wincing. It was just so painful. And then it took me a few more years. Then it took me like the next... Uh, 30 or 40 to kind of uh, get the idea so it became a bit more familiar. Oh, really okay. Mm. When I was growing up, I had this idea that uh, uh, before I was born, there'd be these souls kind of in a, in a, uh, a bardo state on a shelf and, some, and a hand was coming down, the hand of God or his, and it was a his in my mind, assistant, reaching, and it was supposed to be the soul next to me, and I was a mistake. <laughs> this is true. And I was going to be found out for the imposter that I was. That was a, an ongoing uh, theme. So lots of self-judgment, lots of um, you know, unworthiness, Lots of not thinking that, you know, I'd be popular and stuff like that. I had friends. I wasn't, you know, you don't, don't, wasn't completely pathetic, but, uh, 
but when it came to meeting new people or so, you know, very, you know, shy and, and, and awkward, it's possible to change. It absolutely is possible to change. And this practice is doing it. We're inclining the mind to just plant those seeds that say, oh yes, you're okay. I can be kind. Robert Bly has this line. He says that every part of us that we do not learn to love will become hostile to us. Because if we're busy stuffing it down or pretending it's not there or afraid to look at it, it's, uh, it's just kind of feeding it in the long run with aversion. So this is about learning to open up to the whole package. And as, as you have heard, this is a purification process and you're going to see the whole package. The first time I did a loving-kindness retreat, um, as I'm sending loving-kindness to myself, I thought of all the really horrible things that I did in my lifetime, just one after another, like, oh God, I can't believe I did that. Oh God, oh, it was just so bad. It was so awful. Finally, I decided I was going to list the top 20 really awful things I'd done. All right, let's have it out. I was so lucky I picked that number because I could only come up with 17 (laughs) really bad. There was an end to that level of awfulness. And after a while, started to see that if you just focus on what's wrong, that's what you'll highlight. But you start to see there's a bigger, there's a bigger perspective. This is from Jack Cornfield's book, uh, The Art of Forgiveness, Loving Kindness, and Peace. In the Babemba tribe of South Africa, when a person acts irresponsibly or unjustly, he's placed in the center of the village, alone and unfettered, All work ceases and every man, woman, and child in the village gathers in a large circle around the accused individual. Then each person in the tribe speaks to the accused one at a time, each recalling the good things the person in the center of the circle has done in his lifetime. Every incident, every experience that can be recalled with any detail and accuracy is recounted. All his positive attributes, good deeds, strengths, and kindnesses are recited carefully and at length. This tribal ceremony often lasts for several days. At the end, the tribal circle is broken, a joyous celebration takes place, and the person is symbolically and literally welcomed back into the tribe. That's a good tribe to hang out with, isn't it? (laughs) And you can hear as you, maybe you hadn't heard that before, you were saying, what are they going to do to this poor guy? And then when you hear, oh, every good thing is recounted. How obvious, of course. Like that poem, the Galway Canal poem, sometimes we have to reteach a thing its loveliness. We just forget who we are and focus on what's wrong. The metta practice is actually operating, I see it, on two levels here. 
on the one level, we're saying the phrases and cultivating as best we can with each phrase that's that intention to be kind. But on another level, on a meta level, M-E-T-A level, we are bringing meta to our practice. And when we see, oh gosh, you know, I'm, I can't do this, or my mind is everywhere, or one way or another where you're not good enough, that's where you bring in the metta on a very profound level and hold your whole experience with great kindness and realize it's okay. You're doing the best you can. Because that's all you can do is the best you can, isn't it? Sometimes you might feel like, oh, well, I, 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 don't, I don't really get it. You know, I don't have a, it's not really love. It's not, it's just, you know, I'm not beating myself up. Okay. That's okay too. Start there. Loving kindness can sometimes be a lofty kind of an ideal that seems so unattainable. I, I remember... Uh, Ajahn Sumedho many years ago gave a talk and he said, you know, instead of thinking about loving kindness, just think about cultivating kindness. That's, that's accessible. And even if it's a little bit, even if it's just a trickle, you don't have to go for a gusher. Just a little trickle of basic kindness, that starts to open you up to the channel and the love flows in its own time. But just to start that movement of the heart towards a basic kindness is really what, what we're doing and what's, what's enough. Just try this for a moment. Okay. Um, close your eyes and put your hand on your heart. And as you do for a moment, think of um, all the, the moments of practice that you've been giving to yourself these last few days. The sincerity that you bring to your practice, that you've brought to it. And with that, just feel the tenderness through your hand that's appreciating what you've been doing and appreciating you. As you feel that tenderness, just take it in. Can you receive it? Let it comfort you. And now for a moment, reflect on the fact, where is that hand? That's part of you too. If that hand is comforting you, then it's coming right from a place inside of you that knows how to comfort. How wonderful that is. That's completing the circuit. Just take it in and also know that you're the one that's sending it. And if you can feel at all a tenderness through your hand, then 
you have that capacity to be kind to yourself, don't you? Okay, you can open your eyes if you'd like. Or if you want to just stay that way for the rest of the talk, that's okay. So the practice of loving kindness is, is really letting it in and also appreciating that you have the capacity to, um, to give that to yourself. And it, it comes down to seeing the goodness in there. I think of the, the metta practice, actually a lot of uh, the Brahma-vihara practices and uh, all the Brahma-vihara practices and mindfulness practice for that matter as well is a practice of seeing, not only seeing things clearly, but seeing the goodness in the world as a way that you can hold the, the, the difficulties, the challenges, the suffering in the world as well. The Buddha saying, you could search the whole world over and not find anyone more worthy of loving kindness than yourself. But it's hard, isn't it? Now, I just want to ask you something. If you met somebody who really understood you and who really um, understood your hopes and your fears, who appreciated your sense of humor, who had similar tastes to you and really got it, got where you were coming from, how would you feel about meeting someone like that? Wouldn't you be happy? There's one person that gets every joke that goes through your head. <laughs> There's one person who really understands all your hopes and your fears. There's one person who really understands your take on the world. Unfortunately, they're right inside your own body. But if you met yourself from the outside, you'd be saying, where have you been all my life? You know? Fantastic. Right? It's just from our vantage point that we don't get who we are. We don't get what others see. Uh, uh, Einstein has this, this phrase, we live in an optical delusion of consciousness. That from our own vantage point, we can't see reality. It's a, it's a distorted perspective. And this is particularly true in metta when it comes to ourselves, often that is. But if you met yourself, you'd be so happy. So here's a, a little metta practice that actually was a very profound turning point for me in my own practice that uh, I want to offer it to you. I did it in one of the groups here. And this happened uh, a number of years ago. I was doing a, a chunk of time on Brahma Viharas. And I was doing metta for self. And it was, it was okay. I wasn't giving myself a hard time, but it, it wasn't really rich and juicy. And I was just kind of going along for a few days like that, you know, maybe about three days into the, into the practice all of a sudden, somebody came to my mind who I knew really loved me. It's like, oh, that person, oh yeah. Yeah, they, they, they love me. 
And then I thought, gosh, this would be so easy if I could just see, see it the way they saw it. And then I asked myself, well, what do they see? Why do they love me? And that's when I had this kind of flip of perspective that I'd like to share with you. Close your eyes for a moment and bring someone to mind who you share a really sweet, loving connection with. You just hang, love hanging out together enjoying each other, and imagine they're right here with you. They're right here in front of you. And uh, just get in touch with that sweet, loving energy that you share. How wonderful that is. Now for a moment, imagine inhabiting their reality and seeing through their eyes who they see when they're with their friend. Why do they love hanging out with you? What is it that touches them about you? Maybe your kindness or your goodness or your playfulness or Get it all, just take it all in. Because whether or not you realize it, that's what's shining through you and touching them. And just see first if this person who they call their friend is worthy of kindness and love and happiness. And realize the, the more that you're there and you're in touch with it, the more it just kind of shines through. And send some kind thoughts to this being from that vantage point. May you really be happy. May you see all the goodness that others see. And now let your consciousness move back from that perspective to come right inside your own body and from the inside stay connected to those qualities. Get who you are. And from the inside send yourself some kind thoughts can either do it first person or second person. May you be happy or may I be happy, whatever. But stay connected to the goodness that you just saw. Okay. Now, if you could see even just get a glimpse of what your friend saw. Just raise your hand, I'd like to see. Okay, so, and if you didn't, let it be okay. That doesn't, doesn't mean anything other than it's not, wasn't happening right now. But if you raise your hand and you could get a glimpse, then as I like to say, the jig is up. 
you can't pretend, one, that you're not lovable, and two, that you don't have the capacity to see and send some kind thoughts to yourself, to be kind to yourself. So it's just a matter of practicing that more and more and letting it become your home base. Because the thing is, others see who you are. Even if you think, oh, if they find out who I am, they'll know I'm just, you know, I'm this rotten person or whatever. You don't get it. You don't see it. Why do you think people would want to hang out with you? Something is shining through that you don't pick up if you're in that unworthy space. So it's just a matter of starting to see what other people see. This is a, a practice, by the way, that I encourage you to do uh, that I've, I've done um, at times. It's really powerful. Try doing metta in a mirror. I'd say in the next couple of days, if you haven't, been, you know, I think we all have mirrors in our room, just try it. You might feel like a real jerk, you know, oh yeah, okay. But just look inside See who that is. That's what other people see. And if you cringe, you know, let go of it because somehow people have been able to put up with you for your whole life. You know. Just try doing some metta that way and seeing who it is behind that, that initial response maybe of, of resistance. And you might also take this perspective of if it's hard for you to see, then seeing yourself through someone else's eyes. If you have been finding a, a, working with a benefactor who knows you well, why have they given their caring to you? Why have they believed in you? Do you respect their judgment? If you respect their judgment at all, then give them the benefit of the doubt. They must know something. They must see something to really respect that caring and receive it gracefully. Okay, so getting back to this mysterious force of love that comes through us that we can have a a capacity for. On the one hand, it's yours And on the other, it's not yours at all. It's just been something gifted to you. And as soon as you take ownership of it, then you're getting into that small sense of self. It's just what shines out through your heart. And you can't lose it. It's been there all along. It's the natural state. But if you say, is my love good enough? Or, hey, I've got a lot of, uh, my unconditional love is better than your unconditional love. You know, that doesn't make any sense, does it? It's just love moving through us. And this is another important part of the practice. This is from Nyoshul Kempo, a great Tibetan master, 
Buddha nature, the essence of awakened enlightenment itself, is present in everyone. Its essence is forever pure, unalloyed, and flawless. Those who recognize their true nature are enlightened. Those who ignore it or overlook it are deluded. There's no way to enlightenment other than by recognizing Buddha nature and authentically identifying it within one's own stream of being. So on the one hand, you identify it within yourself. On the other, it is just Buddha nature shining through you. That's the, the paradox, isn't it? Or another similar pointer that perhaps you've heard. This is Martha Graham to Agnes DeMille. There is a vitality, a life force, a quickening that is translated through you into action. And since there's only one of you in all time, this expression is unique. If you block it, it will never exist through any other medium and will be lost. The world will not have it. It's not your business to determine how good it is nor how it compares with other expressions. It is your business to keep it yours clearly and directly to keep the channel open. You keep the channel open of that life force that moves through you and at the same time celebrating something, the uniqueness, the unique expression that it takes through this being which has never been here before. But when you think about it, whose love is it anyway? This is where the, the metta practice really becomes an anatta practice, a, a not self practice you see the selfless nature of this love just moving through all of us. Where did it come from? It's inside, but it's awoken from receiving it, from having it awakened. You know, all of us came into this world, and if we were fortunate enough to have just a little bit of love, that's how it wakes up. If you don't receive any, we know the, the tragedy of those who didn't receive any love, who, who are really damaged and can't, don't have a capacity to even feel or care about another human being. But if you're thinking, oh, I didn't receive enough, I didn't receive love, that thought occur- occurred to me. I'm not lovable, I couldn't do metta one one retreat, it just was so cold. Oh, I'm not lovable. Oh, I wasn't loved and all of that. Um, That's not so because if you have a capacity of kindness, then you receive love from somewhere. This is from Mayor Baba. Love has to spring spontaneously from within. It is in no way amenable to any form of inner or outer force. Love and coercion can never go together, but while love cannot be forced upon anyone, it can be awakened through love itself. Love is essentially self-communicative. Those who do not have it catch it from those who have it. True love is unconquerable and irresistible. It goes on gathering power and spreading itself until eventually it transforms everyone it touches. 
It's self-communicative. Those who do not have it catch it from those who have it. But actually, it's not so much catch it, it just gets reminded and is awakened as we receive it, as we let it in. And here's where I want to share, spend a little bit of time on seeing the um, the lineage of love that we've all been given, particularly around benefactors. Benefactors are a really um, powerful practice, I think, for seeing the transmission of of love and caring over time. Somebody believed in you, or somebody has cared about you, you know, perhaps they're your benefactor. And I'd like you to just for a moment try this. Close your eyes and bring your benefactor to mind. Someone who particularly make it, make it a benefactor or somebody who has enriched your life, who you know personally, if that's possible. And just feel the way that energy has moved from them to you and awoken some qualities in you. And now for a moment, reflect on the fact that they had a benefactor and benefactors as well. That they received something as well. probably from a number of people. And then go back one more generation. All the benefactors that are your ancestor benefactors. And back and back. Just a lineage of goodness coming through. All the way through to you. And now reflect for a few moments that you've had many benefactors. You've had many people who've enriched your life. Many people who've cared about you, I would imagine. And each of them has a whole lineage of benefactors. All the love and goodness and caring and kindness that's come through all of those beings and then transmitted right to you that make up who you are or a big part of who you are. And then for a moment, reflect on all the people that you touch in your life Maybe your children if you have, or your friends, or people that you've supported. And just passed on what you've received to all those people 
who then pass it on to others and will over the course of generations. As you reflect on that, whose love is it? Who does it belong to? It's just moving through all these different hearts, all these different bodies, all these different minds, and you are a conduit for that caring and that kindness. It doesn't belong to anyone, and yet it's something that's been gifted to you and for you to help awaken in others. You can open your eyes if you'd like. And that's one way to think of the the metta practice as a gift to everybody. The more you're willing to cultivate that tender heart, that kind heart, the more it becomes self-communicative. It awakens that goodness and the kindness in others. What better way to spend your time? But to realize that it's both yours and not yours. This is a, a really freeing thing. Then how could you not deserve to be part of that lineage? How can you abdicate your, your place in that stream? Simply by allowing the outflow of what wants to come through. This is um, a poem by my favorite poet uh, named Dana Falls. She says, settle in the here and now. Reach down into the center where the world is not spinning and drink this holy peace. Feel relief flood into every cell. Nothing to do, nothing to be, but what you are already. Nothing to receive, but what flows effortlessly from the mystery into form. Nothing to run from or run towards. Just this breath, awareness, knowing itself as embodiment, Just this breath, awareness, waking up to truth. And that awareness is really another way of saying consciousness or love. As the Tibetans say, empty, wakeful, and responsive. It's just nothing to receive but what flows effortlessly from the mystery into form, into the form called you. What a mystery. 
and how amazing that we get to play it out and be used in such a beautiful way. Every seed of intention, every phrase that we incline the mind to awaken to a bit more kindness is just opening to what's already here, activating it, letting it flow through, and it will awaken itself in everyone that you know. So, we'll just sit for a moment. Nothing to do, nothing to be, but what you are already. Nothing to receive, but what flows effortlessly from the mystery into form. for your attention. Half hour for walking. And uh, as you walk, let yourself enjoy. This is, it's a kindness practice, you know. It's a happiness practice. Just let yourself enjoy it. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.